Hello. I'm <laughs> Jessica Benoist Young. And I'm Melanie Reeve. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. Welcome to season two. I think yeah. you can officially say this is season this two. Is season two. And with season two, we're going to start off with a little callback to season one. Our second episode, we, we mm-hmm. did a murder mystery week. Um, where we did one of our favorite movies, both of our favorite movies, Clue. I, yes, and I, I would actually venture to say that both both movies, both Knives Out and Clue, are like two of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. Like I really, really enjoy both of them. Um, I I might say that I liked um, Glass Onion, which we'll be talking about today. Uh-huh. Um, I might say that I liked that better than I liked Knives Out. Yeah. I saw a lot of takes, obviously. I mean, it's a huge movie, so everybody has their take. And I saw a lot of people saying they didn't like it as much, or um, it wasn't as good as the original. And, you know, I enjoyed it every single bit as much. I didn't take it for something that was trying to recreate anything from exactly. the first one. Well, and I think that's actually a really important point. Like I've done a lot of listening to interviews and reading interviews with Ryan Johnson and like he actually says like he really did not want Netflix to put that it was a knives out movie mm. in the title because it's not supposed to be a sequel, it's not supposed to be a remake, it's not supposed to be a continuation. He talks about, and like this is, like I listened to this interview that he did, he's done several now, and I'm like, oh, you're talking directly to me, because this is my thing with the Agatha Christie. Yeah. He like talks about, you know, how Poirot and the, the detective remains the same. It's like any of those Murder of the Week shows, where um, the detective remains the same, but they... The story changes, and Agatha Christie, one of the things that she did really well was explore, like, different versions of mystery genre. So they were all tied through that same detective, but the mystery was different. So, like, that first one, you have have the closed-in manor murder, which is a very typical, like you know, cozy mystery trope where it's all people in the family, it's vengeful, everybody seems to have like a reason to hate each other. And then you have this one where it's like not as clear mm-hmm. why everybody and it's it's very extravagant. It's it's almost more the um the Death on the Nile version of it. And this was incredibly campy. Death oh, and yeah. Agatha Christie isn't quite as campy. Well it depends on which part you're watching. Um but he talks about in these interviews about like, you know, watching the movies from the nineteen seventies of like not even like the more recent Kenneth Branagh ones, which Kenneth Branagh is very campy as Poro, but the ones in the 1970s where you have these like huge names all brought together for these movies, which I didn't realize that Angela Lansbury and Maggie Smith were in a version of Death on the Nile mm-hmm. that was done in the 1970s, and apparently, and I guess we should start talking about Glass Onion and not the other movie <laughs> because we've already started. Yes, just. So the you listeners know right before we started, we're like, "What are we going to talk about first? And we decided Roger Rabbit. Which spoiler is alert: there's our week. second movie for the week, <laughs> and one of Jessica's favorites. And, yes, and then we just like jumped right in. But to your point, I don't understand why they called it a Knives Out mystery and not a Benoit Blanc mystery. 
And I think that's what he wanted was it was a Benoit Blanc mystery. But because of the marketing in Hollywood, no, like, the marketing people still knew... would have been better. Benoit Blanc, that's your... I, I agree. But like Ugh. some some big wig, but it's that whole thing, like some big wig executive didn't agree with that because Knives Out was the name that people talked about and knew. But it's not Knives Out. It's a different movie. What is everyone talking about now? Benoit Blanc. Like, that's who people care about. Right. That's what people want I mean, to see. It's, it's Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, and I think he's brilliant. Oh, yeah. And I actually think, like, one of the reasons I think this movie was so successful, there are so many reasons, um, Glass Onion was so successful is because of the acting choices of Ben of, of Daniel Craig. And I'm going to just say like upfront too, spoiler alerts all over oh, the place, yeah, because yeah. there's no way to talk about this just, movie without talking about the twist. If so you haven't watched if you haven't watched and it, you're thinking of watching it, put a pin in this or skip and, to like 45 minutes into this episode, come back, go watch it. Exactly. There's really no reason for you not to watch it. And you haven't, you it's don't a, even have to, to have seen Knives Out. No. They don't no, talk you don't. about it at all. In fact, there's a point on the dock when they're trying to figure out who he is and why he's there. And she's like, you solved the murder of that. And I could have sworn she was going to say the author's name. Nope. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, that's like Poirot too. Poirot is like this famous detective and there's rarely reference to yeah. the previous books. It's just like, he is this very famous detective that everybody knows. And this comes up like, oh, of course, that's why Benoit Blanc is here at right. this like private island. So in Knives Out, or not Knives Out, Glass Onion, these are all friends who are invited to Miles Broad, Edward Norton's private island to do like a very elaborate murder mystery party. They get these like puzzle boxes, mm-hmm. which I thought was such a cool opening. Um, and then watching them solve it all was so fun. Um, I loved the cameo of Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah. And the Bach feud. <laughs> like the, the ridiculousness of Yo-Yo Ma being at a Birdie J, who's this like, I Older you... supermodel fashion Who icon. says the most offensive things. <laughs> Like, she's like, how is I, like, the line, like, it's, this could, is so offensive. But, like, it was, that was the point. It was, like, how was I supposed to know that uh, that was a, like, derogatory term for Jews? And her assistant, like, literally looks at her and goes, Jewy. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's oh. so funny. <laughs> because, like, the character is just so dumb. And then you have Yo-Yo Ma there. And it's like. Yeah. It's so asinine that he's in this elaborate party during the COVID era. I know. But they were all in her pod. All, like, what? <laughs> 60 people I in know. that room? And then just the weird mix of all of those characters, too. Like, you have Leslie Odom Jr. as... What was his name? Um, Lionel. Right? Lionel. Yeah, yeah Lionel. Yeah, Toussaint, that's who... one of the things I really liked about this one, where in the first one... Like, it was just such a nice contrast to everything about the first. So that's where yeah. I get a little, let's just say, miffed at people wanting to directly compare them. Really, you the can't. only thing we're going to directly compare is Benoit Blanc himself, because he's the only one, you know, the only thing that's the same. It's the only consistency. Um, but I, do, I did think it was cool, because it was like... We get to see him in all these different environments, like you said, just like Perot. And this one was so different. The characters yeah. were different. The aesthetics, the environment, 
was different. I he mean, both of them are like rich people as a detective. Honestly, he Well, that's what made his performance so brilliant. And this is where spoilers, like how many times did you watch it? Uh just two. Okay, I watched it twice too. <laughs> and I wonder if you had the same experience that I did because you go through the movie and he's there Benoit Blanc supposedly gets invited with this box the same way everybody else does. Mm -hmm. We then learn that uh, Miles Braun didn't invite him with the box. And so Miles is surprised that he's there too. And it's just like, okay, it's a prank. Ha ha. Mm -hmm. And then later there's uh, Janelle Monae's character, Andy. Why am I explaining this? If you're (laughs) listening to this part, you should have watched the movie. Anyway. Andy actually is dead. Her sister, Helen, also played by Janelle Monet, hires Benoit Blanc to solve who killed her. And what I thought was so brilliant is from half that half the first half of the movie, you don't realize that's what's going on. Right. So you're seeing Benoit Blanc get to the island and like the way Daniel Craig plays it, it's like, oh, he's like kind of bumbling. And mm-hmm. you're like, he's just there on vacation to solve a case. Like this is going to be like to solve a fun case. This is going to be fun for him. He was looking for something to do. Yeah. Oh, and he's, like, really a fan of Miles Braun. Like, this is, like, he's really impressed by, you know, uh, Catherine Hahn, who plays the governor, and, like, all of these people who are, like, big names. And then, it, but it, like, doesn't really make sense that he should be, because, like, there's no reason that he should be impressed by Birdie J at all. Yeah, I guess I just felt like it was his elation to be out of the house doing something. And yeah, exactly. Southern politeness in overdrive. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Not that he actually really liked any of these people just, you know, trying to be right. really, really polite. Because he also is pretending that, or he's also realized right at the beginning that he's not supposed to be there, quote. Exactly. So it's all part of his act, you know, yeah. that well, he's embarrassed a little bit to be there. But And then, as you say, the act, the first watch through... I don't, did not watch it as an act. No, yeah. The first watch through, so it was so genuine that he was embarrassed. He felt mm-hmm. bad. It was like kind of bumbling. But you watch it and again, it was like, and there's a whole and other then layer. And you. that's what makes his performance <laughs> yeah. so brilliant is because the second time through, you see it's an act. Mm-hmm. And it is genius because that those, both those layers play. And you will never be able to watch the movie again no with the first it's view. like a fugue like a fugue or <laughs> it's a, glass a completely different movie and if we're gonna do a comparison let's say to roger rabbit roger rabbit once you know the reveal it doesn't change the movie all that much no other than just a couple little lines that you're like oh <laughs> But also, it's a very predictable reveal right. by Robert, Roger Rabbit. There's not, like, this reveal... Like, I watch enough mysteries that I can generally clock or clock the answer, mm-hmm. generally. This one, like, in Knives Out, even, I feel like I clocked the answer pretty early. Not how it was done, but who it was. Mm-hmm. This one, that whole middle reveal, I was floored. And I had been predicting the whole time. I was, like, sitting there telling my mom. I was like, oh... They set it up like, oh, solve who's my murder. In a traditional cozy mystery, That's Miles Braun would be dead. Yeah. He's the person people have a motive to kill. He, they set it up like, oh, like foreshadowing that he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Blanc even says that. You get these seven people together who all have a motive to kill you and give them a gun. Right. Turn off a light. Boom. 
Um, and so I was fully expecting that to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all the references again. I mean, they didn't go overboard in the first movie. Um, but in this movie, we did have a lot of references to Clue. So it would you would be more more likely to think that, you know, Miles is Mr. Body because it's his house and that uh-huh. type of thing. I... I did love when he was, she was like, oh, it's a clue. He's like, that's a stupid it's game. Stupid, and we see terrible, earlier terrible that game. he, and it, he, he's like, I'm not good at stupid things or whatever his line was. But one of my favorite dumb parts things. of the movie is with dumb things. One of my favorite parts of the movie was in those first five minutes where that he's playing among us mm-hmm. in the bath. And that is such a callback to a certain time of the pandemic. And he's playing it with Stephen Sondheim, mm-hmm. Angela Lansbury, who I just like, cheered yeah so loudly because like we've lost both of those mm-hmm. like people in the past two years and to have them together on screen and that scene was just amazing natasha leone and kareem abdul jabbar like the weirdest okay so it seems like that's just a random mix of people like okay so why is benoit blog like okay this is just a random mix of famous people listening to these interviews you dig deeper and this is where well, like, t- Ryan right Johnson, off the bat i understood sondheim angela and lansbury. angela lansbury why did you understand sondheim because you because had I... just told me that he oh. did a murder mystery okay yeah so i didn't know that though and so i was like oh okay sondheim mm-hmm. but like finding out that he apparently did a murder mystery in the 1970s yeah. it was like okay those two and then natasha leone was like okay in my head i was just like Yes, this obviously would be the person who would, like, put together right. random groups of online game people during the pandemic. Right, absolutely. <laughs> well, here's here's the Natasha Leone like, nugget. Ryan Johnson just filmed a Murder of the Week series starring Natasha Leone. Okay. And I don't know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar other than, like, why not use Kareem why Abdul-Jabbar? Not? Like, that's the one that I'm like, okay, maybe, there, maybe he was in a movie. If you know... If there's some mystery connection with Kareem of Jewel Jabbar, please, please let, let us, us know. Because it would be very fascinating and completely unexpected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and obviously the Angela Lansbury one was murder, she wrote. Mm-hmm. Like that one was, and and that she was in the 1970s. Um, Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. And it's just like, who I think of, Cozy Mysteries. Yeah. That was one of my favorite lines, though, when she's like, hey, this looks like a that game clue and he's talking about how bad it is and or how dumb it is and he's like running around searching rooms ticking boxes it's just a terrible terrible game (laughs) and then that's essentially what she does in the movie to figure Uh out like who searching all the rooms for the napkin the the napkin Mm -hmm. not the evidence of a weapon but the evidence of who actually was doing Miles dirty work. Yeah. Who was doing Miles dirty work? Um I just thought the layers of it were so good and like I mean Ed Norton is a fantastic, oh, fantastic. actor in everything that he does and him playing this kind of like pseudo hippie Elon Musk type of weird rich genius and that's quote unquote performance that completely changes when you go back and watch it you're like yep. oh my god this guy you are an idiot like from the beginning but he does such a good job of making it come off as just this really like confident genial eccentric genius yeah um whimsical 
He comes across yeah, as very whimsical and aloof almost. Um, it's that Elon and then Musk when you watch thing, it again, and, and it's like, no, you're you're just dumb. <laughs> well, the key to the whole case too is is that he says what what tips Blanc off that it was Miles all along was that like my so there is somebody who dies duke dies duke is dave bautista who i just thought was fantastic mm-hmm. like just so good i mean like i hate like the meninist oh, type I, of character yeah. like i mean you, you he's such an his idiot his and opening it, scene right before he so, uh, comes to do the puzzle it was a contender for one of my worst lines because i just hated See, it so much and i'm like this isn't actually bad because it's doing exactly exactly what it sets out to do but i i don't want to hear this word ever again when he says the breastification of america i know so like that was like i couldn't like i mean that's exactly why it wasn't never going to be one of my worst lines is because it was like this is exactly yeah. who the character is and then the brilliance of him living with his mom like the the irony like it's so genius and like and his mom is all of that smart really smart yeah really <laughs> smart and i love jackie hoffman and everything she's great um but anyway so miles like very confidently says all of these words that are wrong like so uh the first one he says abbreviate let's all abbreviate this moment and one of the things i like was listening to in some of these interviews is like when you have generally a white guy a white male who says things like that confidently you have all of these people who we've built up to these positions mm-hmm. i mean you know the cheeto who just still exists in yeah. the ether for some reason half of congress like all of these I mean, Elon Musk's who like we're seeing in very public, like I'm sure there is a part of Elon Musk that is a genius. Like he is a very, like he is innovative and has innovative ideas, but you're seeing the things he says, you're like, that's so dumb. But like people are like, Oh, you're brilliant because of just the way people, the way you carry themselves, the way people have built them up, this, this idea surrounding the male genius. We never hear women talked about the same way. Well, I think that they sum it up really, really well. Right in the beginning, they tell you he has Lionel is talking to like the board, the alpha board Uh and he's showing these faxes that come in in the middle of the night. Most of them are asinine, nonsense, gibberish, don't even have anything to do with anything. But he had NFT one or really, really children good idea, or at least he had a NFT. profitable idea. Not necessarily a good idea, a profitable yes. idea. And so, and he's sitting there like, which, what am I supposed to do? Which thing am I supposed to take seriously? And I think it's right. this whole idea that like, I don't know why we say that somebody's just a genius when what's more likely is that they are, like you said, they're innovative and lucky in one area. Mm-hmm. Why do we then immediately think that that person who may be really, really lacking in knowledge in a lot of other things gets to go be a genius in every single thing? You know, right. That's and it's not like they did it to me. And it's not like they did it all by themselves either. Right. So, but because like the the first time watch back to the movie, like the first time watching it, you hear 
Like, I heard, like, all of the wrong words Edward Norton uses. Reclamation, infraction point. Like, they're all wrong. Yeah. And, they, like, you clock them as wrong and then are just like, oh, no, but that, like, it makes sense because you don't realize it. Yeah. And then the second time through, you're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're an idiot. Uh-huh. That really was one of my contenders for best line. And I think it probably actually is, and I'm trying to find it now is it hides not behind the complexity but the mind-numbing obvious clarity uh truth is it does not hide at all i was staring right at it and that like really is the key to the whole movie yeah like everything like all of the pieces are there in the movie mm-hmm. you see ed norton hand dave bautista the glass yeah you like do. that is seen yep. i watched for that the second time and they film it that way yep, they do you're distracted they, by kate and Hudson. they even show him doing something weird with the with his own drink and you don't really think anything about it because you're like it's his own drink what right you see him pouring something in and you're like oh yeah and just pineapple juice Mm -hmm. because he's allergic to pineapple one of my favorite i let me tell you how i had a hard time i didn't really have a hard time actually my i knew what i thought would be my best line from the first time i watched it And then when I watched it the second time and actually took notes, I was like, yep, that's still it. So my first line was pretty, or my best line was pretty easy for me, but I kept almost getting derailed because there were so many lines. And this is really the first time that this has happened to me where I, I had a bunch of lines that were runners up and that I would have loved to pick just because of the delivery. Only because yes. of the everything delivery. Kate Hudson said. Everything well, Kate and Hudson Benoit said. And Benoit Blanc just had so many lines that I thought, oh, that's genius. And I started to write it down. I'm like, no, there is absolutely nothing special about this line in the way that it's written. There's some it turns of phrase all because that are really of how good. it was performed. And when he's like, he just put pineapple juice in his whiskey. He's like mad at how obvious and dumb it is. It's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then Kate Hudson feels that so dumb. It's brilliant. No, no, it's, it's just, just dumb. dumb. <laughs> it's so good. And like there are there are so many turns of phrase that Benoit Blanc does use though that are genius. Like nobody tried to k- kill you, you vainglorious. Yes, buffoon. that was the other one. Uh, nobody tried to kill you, you vainglorious buffoon. <laughs> the minefield of malpropisms. Um, oh, you brainless jackass. You're one murder with Eddie Panache at all, and you stole the whole idea from me. <laughs> yes. Like, he is so livid yeah. at this whole thing. It's so good. So good. The other one I almost chose is when Birdie, after yeah, Andy kind of, me. like, rips them all to shreds. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the you, in the little terrace right before dinner, yeah. and he's explaining the whole concept of the disruptors. Uh And he's saying, you know, Bertie just says what, what everybody's thinking, but nobody else has the guts to say and, and all this stuff. And so then they all leave to go get ready for dinner and Bertie, who is, has been flirting with Benoit from the jump. Who's gay. (laughs) Yes. Benoit's gay. (laughs) And so she turns to him and she's like, you know, it's true. You know what Miles says? I speak the truth and people can't handle it. And he says, it's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Don't you think? And she just kind of, that was almost my best line. 
you can tell for a split second she's offended because she's like, did he just call me dumb? <laughs> or she she would be offended if she really could follow what he was saying. And you could see in her face, she's mm-hmm. like, I don't think I like that. But then she just immediately goes back to flirting with him. And she's like, oh, are you calling me dangerous? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and I just loved that. That to me was like just quintessential Benoit Blanc and... And, and one of the things that I liked about this movie, too, is... And his character. So if we're not, like, summing up the movie, which your line choice absolutely 100% did, and it's a great line, I kind of went from the, well, let's look at, like, the character. And mm-hmm. one common thread in both of these movies is he he really drives from the back seat almost, you know, like he sits back and he watches so much. And I felt like because of the position he was in, in this movie, especially, I mean, he definitely does it in Knives Out as well by getting, um, I cannot remember her name in the movie, but Anna Darmus's character to really kind of take the lead and show him around, you know, he's still coming at it from this like spectator position but they really did put him in a complete outsider spectator position in this plot where he is there to just kind of like watch and you really get that feeling that, and, and he wasn't like I was saying before, he's not there to the best of your knowledge. And even when he's working with Helen, he's really not there like to do a traditional detective investigation. He's almost spying. Not until not until um, Duke dies, right? And so because there's no because there's no reason for him exactly. to do an investigation. And that's, that's, according to everybody right. else, until Duke dies, right? And he does, and he does exactly this. What he's saying is like he could have jumped to conclusions. He could have said anything. Like Miles is immediately like it was my drink and trying to like misdirect people. And mm-hmm. it was my drink. Someone almost killed me. All these things, blah, blah, blah. They all immediately start pointing fingers. Everybody's pointing fingers. When um, Whiskey finds Helen in their room, who she thinks is Andy, she immediately starts thinking that Andy slash Helen killed Duke. So it's... Right. And even to... It could be the same that, like, he could be talking to the audience there. You know, a little bit of... A little bit of not-so-fourth-wall breaking, too, is that... We think we know what we're seeing, but you can't, at that point, you cannot start saying what you think is going on, because as we know from Benoit Blanc Mysteries, uh, we don't know what's going on. And even as you add each additional layer of knowledge, you still don't know what's going on. There's still these extra little snippets that we didn't get to see. And like... When the, like, even with the reveal that Janelle Monet, who is brilliant, is Helen and not Andy. Andy's been dead this whole time and this is her twin sister. But then, like, you think Helen is dead. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. in the flashback. Exactly. Like, she gets shot. Like, I, like, and so I'm like, oh, my God, that's why he's crying. Because he set her up for this. Like, this is. Yeah. And then you realize, like, oh, no, it's Tabasco that it's he put. Jeremy it's Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. Or Jeremy Renner's hot sauce that he put. And, like like put in his eyes and yeah. is and is making a water like, to make it, it look he's like, like he's tears like, oh holy shit balls <laughs> exactly just say holy shit balls, so just funny. Shit balls. 
Yeah. Um, which is like one of the few times you actually hear him curse in a way that like is not very There actually wasn't a lot of cursing in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised. I guess I expected there to be more. Was there more? There was more in the first movie. Um, she says, she says, and one of the lines too is this rich people shit is weird. Yeah. And the first time through, I was like, oh, Andy's just like being nice to him and extending an olive branch. And the second time, it's like Hella being like, this is. Well, what I, what I, <laughs> this yeah, is so exactly. Weird. What I, what I uh, guess I read it as like, oh, Andy doesn't come from money. And she's right. trying to like say, you know, even though I'm rich right now. The other thing, like going back to how Miles Brown is on idiot, there's like the little crumbs all throughout, like the words is one of them. But one of my favorites is like the way he was like, I paid so-and-so to do this. Like, right. He kept saying every, the puzzle, like, my puzzle guy, the murder mystery, um, the Jillian Flynn. Um, my favorite was the hourly dong the composed hourly dong. by Phil Glass. That's the hourly dong. It was incredible. The hourly <laughs> dog. <laughs> And, I and the feel dock, glass compose it. The dock that the he Banksy. got Banksy to do, but it doesn't float, so they can't come in at night because the hides the the tide is too high. The, <laughs> the, it, the, the, the crumbs, like, the dock. It's such a brilliantly crafted it, movie. Yeah. Except, and this is where I'll get into my worst line. Except, I had one problem with it, like okay. major problem Ooh. with it. I so there's the whole there's also a big thing about the Mona Lisa. He oh, yeah, borrows yeah. the Mona Lisa from the Louvre, which is like fantastical in itself because that would really never happen. But like, okay, I can suspend that disbelief a little bit. Borrows it from the Louvre. There's like a security system in place. So much so that you hear Duke's phone going off all these times yeah. with the, these alerts that the glass will just come up if it. And there's but he Miles Braun because he's a genius and had to stare in the eye has this like you know way to. Override get around buttons. the system. Yeah. And so at the end, when Miles has burned the napkin, there's no evidence whatsoever. And he, he again uses the wrong word. He goes, instead of circumstantial, he goes circumspective. And I was yeah. like, even yeah. still, he's doing <laughs> It's so good. And like the, at the end, they're just breaking all this glass. He has this like glass garden. It just like being like, you're an asshole, Miles. Yeah. Like they all kind of, all of them kind of wake up to it. They're all like Swarovski sculptures I know, something like that exactly just... <sighs> and but then helen starts a fire because like at this point they have nothing on him other because there's no evidence mm-hmm. but he can burn the mona lisa like they basically burned the mona lisa because of this hydro fuel the right. clear and, and that's the whole thing and that's why andy left is that, the clear and to show that the clear is unsafe because he's planning on unveiling it like the ne- the following mm-hmm. week which, like, I mean, which Lionel and Claire, arguably the two smart people yeah. in that group, are, like, signed off on, showing that they're not that smart. Or they are smart, just opportunists. Which, like, also yeah. Catherine Hahn, I wanted more of us. I did. And, they like, didn't she was great. give her enough humor. No. They didn't really let her stretch no. her humor legs at all. Yeah. Not enough to really, like make me be like, yes, Catherine. I mean, I love Catherine Hahn, but I wanted more. So anyway, like going back, Andy or Helen, Andy sends everything up in flames, including the Mona Lisa. And to me, I was just like that. It was like a little step too far of like, I know. And so then at the end, and I get it. It was like, 
the idea of like, this is the only way we're going to get Miles Brown with anything. Like, I do get that. You're, she says, you're fool of the future, just barbecued the world's most famous painting, dumbass. Congratulations on the public launch of Clear and the end of Miles Brown, which like, fine. But the very, the very last lines of the movie were my worst lines because he goes, did you get the son of a bitch? Yup. Ready to go home. And that's the end. And my problem with that is, and maybe this is me just wanting more conclusion and Ryan Johnson just isn't going to give that to me. Like, I wanted to see him go down. I wanted yeah. definitive. Yeah. Like, I just feel like the, the whole movie was so well crafted and so well done. And I just didn't feel like the ending landed the plane. Hmm. Yeah, it does. It, the ending definitely. Well, I mean, because they put so much. It really is a huge, huge, explosive climax. Yes. Um, and then it just but goes not so one that we that. necessarily would normally see in a murder mystery genre at all. I mean that that scene was fun yeah. and it was great and I loved it. I just wanted like a little more resolution after that, and I don't feel like I got it. Like I also wanted to know like what happens right. to the other guy right. people. Also, to get a little nitpicky, she the last thing she says to him is, "But you got your wish uh, to have," and I don't remember the exact. Uh, terminology, your... but to have your names remembered in the same Forever sentence linked. as the it... Mona Lisa. It would have been already, whether he burned it or not, the fact that, right. it, you know, if we are suspending our disbelief and saying that, yeah, the Louvre lent this to him, that's huge. That's massively historically significant Right. And the fact but that I think it would it's... be unprecedented and that a billionaire would be given this for his, you know, big... So it, I think people would have already been saying his name with the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not for eternity. Maybe not. And now That's it's like true. forever. True. My worst line actually does c- come from that scene as well. <laughs> okay. What's your <laughs> it's worst line? a little line? bit... It's definitely not um, as deep. And it does sort of go along with this idea that like he doesn't know what he's saying like and he uses the wrong words and stuff but this I just didn't even know what he was trying to say okay so when he first comes out they all get out and they're sitting on the steps and Uh Helen comes running out and she's kind of looking around and he comes running out after all of them have kind of you know caught their breath and stuff and he's like what? what do you think? You're an alligator? Yeah. I, I forget yeah, what he I says agree. after that. He says a couple other things that do make sense. But when he, he just says, what do you think? You're an alligator? And I'm like, I don't even you know what you're... You me like gangster? Try- yeah. No, you yeah. baby. You child. The rest of them make sense. But I did not even catch the alligator thing the first time. Yeah. But then the second time, I'm like, what is he even talking about Everything I else agree. that I have he no says, idea what that it's means. like, okay, I have a basis. I know what you're trying to say. Yes. As but calling someone an alligator or even something like an alligator had no. <laughs> it had. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I think it's really funny. <laughs> but um, I also love alligators. But also, I was just like, interesting. This is. This is just weird. This is a weird thing to say, and I think we didn't need it. We could have come up with something that had, like, we could have come up with a little bit more clever yeah, uh, play on, 
you know, his malapropisms as we've discussed. Uh, but I still really like it. So it's, it's kind of like, a my, my best worst line. It's like my favorite worst line I think I've heard so far. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's the worst line in the script, but I still find it, uh, rather amusing. Amusing. Yes. Very amusing. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it was, it was hard for me to choose a worst line. It often is, but like the, this movie was so well crafted that like for me it really just came down to like I just don't feel like we landed the plane at the end like everything else is so it was a very I will agree like the ending was really flat it worked for me because I think my imagination just like and that's fair did go like every I'm sure everybody who watched it you fill in the blanks like you definitely fill in the blanks but I I agree that like even so even knowing ultimately what was going to happen like he killed two people. Like we should get a tiny bit more than just like, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think also like my, my imagination feels like went the like pessimist way on this, which is like, Ugh, nothing he's not going to get us come up in because Very nothing's going to, yeah, that's, true. that's how mine went. And I was like, I just want to see him go down. But, um, yeah, well, I, I mean, mean yeah, I, that, I think I... there's definitely, like, we know that his fuel is done, and we know he's in trouble for the right. Mona Lisa, but there's definitely some some real-world precedent to suggest that Andy's death is officially ruled a suicide, and that nobody ever says anything about Duke, you know? Yeah, it was just a allergic reaction. Yep. Alas, but I mean, I thought, like... Honestly, I think my favorite part of the like I loved the movie. I cannot wait for the next one. Mm-hmm. I would watch an entire series of Kate Hudson as Birdie J. <laughs> yeah. I everything she did, like whereas I wanted more I mean, I wanted more Catherine Hahn because I just didn't feel like we got enough. I wanted Kate Hudson, like more Kate Hudson, because she was so good. It was it was a fantastic, yes. Absolutely. I loved spot everything on. she did spot on portrayal to the point that I was like in some of it I was like man did it like does it make Kate Hudson uncomfortable to play this character because this character is sort of a tiny bit awful and she's doing a really good job that was one of my favorite lines too when when um Peg was like please tell me you didn't think a sweatshop is where where they, they make, make sweatpants. sweatpants. And Kate Hudson um, just kind or, of is like, does this like head nod and throws her hands up like, yeah, duh. Why wouldn't I think that? Well, and like, or when nobody would touch Birdie with the 10 foot pole because she went on Oprah and compared herself to Harriet Tubman in spirit. In spirit. <laughs> and her Beyonce Halloween costume was an homage. <gasps> it was a tribute. Right. It's Oh my god, it's so bad. It's so bad. Anyway, I cannot wait for the next iteration of a Benoit Blanc movie because yeah. like I hope he continues just like I mean I know that's his plan, Ryan Johnson's plan, is to just continue making yeah. yeah. Well and Netflix and definitely has already bought a third. More. Okay. At least I need yeah. more than that. I need five more after I, that. I need eight total. I need as many as they want to make. This as you as you know, this is my genre. I will watch them. I need all and or, love all of or, them. Or okay, like we do one more movie and then we give Benoit Blanc his own uh, murder she wrote. Mini series. I just yep. need mm-hmm. 
And until, I'm also very excited Daniel for Craig like retires. He needs to just just only continue. not only do Benoit Blanc, but mostly do Benoit Blanc. Just uh, you know, for me, so I need like good. 20 more years of Benoit Blanc. I would take that too. Uh, and I also am very excited for um, knowing that Ryan Johnson is doing a murder of the week type mm-hmm. of show mm-hmm. with um, Natasha Lyonne. I think it's called Poker Face. Yes, I, I have seen that. I, think I did not know soon. that Ryan Johnson was involved in that. But I, I only see. learned that from listening to these interviews. Right. Love that. The other mystery you chose for the week, um, Jess, do you want to say why you paired Roger Rabbit with this? Actually, this is, there are two reasons. Um, Okay. We talked about it, I think, in like three separate episodes <laughs> in our first season for various different reasons. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, it being one of my favorites and, and all of this. So it's definitely something that was already on the list that like I knew yes. I needed to get in this season somehow. Um, but the main reason that I chose it is that, you know, obviously with Glass Onion coming out, everybody's doing you know everybody's this movie is everywhere just completely Mm -hmm. dominating all social media and media in general and so everybody's coming out with their like best murder mysteries of all time murder mystery movies of all time and who framed roger rabbit is on as it should be almost every single list and it just occurred to me that you know a lot of people my age a lot of um young young Gen X and older millennials probably saw this movie as a small child and then never watched Mm -hmm. it again. Um, Or, you know, maybe watched it a few times as a kid. I said, like, what a movie for a small child. It is not a kid's movie. And like, I don't know what I would have taken away from it at all. It's not a kid's (laughs) movie. It's not a kid's movie. She, she asks him, is that a rabbit in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? This is not a kid's movie. It's not a kid's movie. Well, I mean, like, no, but like, and then they like play patty cake patty and like, cake. that's their affair. Yeah. Enough, it's, it's all innuendo, but it's also not a kid's movie. Right. I would not the have really understood. An I wouldn't have understood the layers of the plot of this at all. I would have been like, oh, Roger's funny. And then kind of just sat there till the end and then gone oh it's judge doom he's a tune and you know like i don't know what i would have taken away from this movie as a child as an adult however well, and like the murdering that of <laughs> yeah it there's so many layers to this movie i mean it's film noir to start so listen which is on disney genius they have it tagged as mystery film noir comedy crime and parody and let Which, me yeah, tell you, that's, they do uh-huh. it all, and they do it perfectly. They they do it not miss a beat on, all of the tunes on four four freaking genres. They do just amazingly. I don't it, to my to this day, and I've said this many times, in to Melanie to to probably anybody who's ever spent you know more than a couple hours in my presence over the span of my lifetime. I don't know how they did this. I really don't. I don't know Robert how they got Zemeckis. the rights to those characters. Oh, oh, no, no. That I do know. They they literally just told the people at... Uh, Warner's and Disney? Warner. They just told the people at Warner's, like, 
you should do this and you should do it for free. And they did. <laughs> they did not pay them what? at all. Nope. And the people from Warner Brothers definitely did have stipulations like which version of Daffy Duck would be used um, and that and that they wanted Bugs equal Bunny. screen time to any major um, Disney counterparts. Well, so that's why and their Daffy Disney Duck counterparts and are all Duck, paired together. Yeah. Di- uh, or in the same scene. Daffy and Donald are have I mean, they're only on screen with each other. And then the same thing with Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. So they, that they have like exact equal screen time. Then, you know, Dumbo makes a sh- very short cameo. And then Yosemite Sam makes a very sh- short cameo. So it is very equal and balanced in that way. Uh-huh. Well, and like, then you have Betty Boop and who's in black and white, which is yeah. just genius. Okay. So for people who haven't seen this movie oh. and you all should, Jess, can you do like a short rundown of what were what it is i mean other than film noir well okay well i mean it has a completely typical film noir mystery setup uh eddie valiant played impeccably like a lifetime career performance by bob hoskins and what a film to have this be like one of your absolute best performances like and and this marvels me as well Nobody had done anything like this before. Can you imagine Bob Hoskins, like, probably acting with, like, somebody holding a broomstick up towards him or something? Like, you know? Yeah, because it was... They do this kind of stuff all the time now. You know, they have people dressed, you know, in motion capture, and they have green Mm -hmm. screen and all this stuff. But that wasn't like this. This was... He had nothing, really to to act off of and yet this is extremely believable extremely believable (laughs) very and this is a 35 year old movie yeah Uh later this year i believe it came out in 19 yeah it was made in 88 yeah so i mean you know we talk a lot about about people who have had like really innovative um careers with different types of um, technology in terms of motion capture, like Andy Circus, who mm-hmm. kind of pioneered that whole thing. And like, um, Doug Jones. people talk about like what hell it was for like Michael Jordan, like just how absolutely psychotic it was for Michael Jordan to literally film that entire movie alone in a green room. Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, they were saying uh, that Bob Jam. Hoskins had to take mind, mind classes yeah. And like had hallucinations for months yeah. after the movie ended. But he nails it. It's so, so, so good. You don't, you buy it. You just buy this. You buy this film. Like there's nothing about this film that you ever go, oh, that didn't work. Or, oh, this, you know, this doesn't look right. Or this doesn't sit right. It. You just buy everything about this film right off the bat. It is. So, uh, so Bob anyway, Hoskins. It starts off as Eddie Valiant, um, is getting called to take some pictures of a philandering wife, toon wife, uh, to mm-hmm. try to to knock some sense into Roger Rabbit, who is a huge moneymaker at RK Maroon Industries, or RK Maroon, which is in uh, Toontown, yes. which is like a toon equivalent of Hollywood, yeah. and and in fact, like Hollywood's right there. And then Toontown is shown kind of as this, like, expansive backlot kind of behind these 
animation and studios. I love that all of the tunes are treated as actors yeah. like it's very much like all of the tunes like they have their own trailer like mm-hmm. trailers they're the like they are yeah like the, the very opening scene is a, a film being shot yeah they're doing where you have this tune baby baby Herman. who is like a 50 year old baby um which like he plays the minute you hear that like rockly voice come yeah. out of the baby I'm like whoa yeah <laughs> but it's so funny so then he gets the pictures easily mm-hmm. they show roger rabbit the pictures he's devastated and the next morning marvin acme who owns toontown and has a gag product company Me. hand uh-huh. buzzers disappearing ink Um, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. He is found dead, and that's who was having the patty cake affair with Roger's wife, Jessica. Who is, like, the sexiest cartoon Uh I've ever seen. Uh Like, she does her number, I mean, brilliantly voiced by Kathleen Turner, because Kathleen Turner in that era was, like, the femme fatale. Um, Returning champion, Kathleen Turner. Returning champion, Kathleen Turner. Returning champion, Robert Zemeckis. Returning champion, Returning champion Christopher Lloyd. For Lloyd, yeah, we have a few. Christopher Lloyd is a three-peat, though. And so is, at least a three-peat. Yeah, and so is Zemeckis. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. Yeah. So then Roger's on the run. He comes to Eddie, who we find out used to be the, um, the top, him and his brother, Valiant and Valiant, private investigators, and with the police department, used to be the top detectives for the Toontown beat, but after a tune dropped a piano on Eddie's brother, Teddy, he quit having any sort of involvement with tunes. But Roger, I guess, doesn't realize that, because he says everybody knows. Yeah, and he's now, um, as as we have to have in a noir film, he's complete alcoholic. Yeah, it's so well done. And that kind of sets up the caper of, like, they're trying to evade Judge Doom, who is Christopher Lloyd, who is, like, trying to rid, like, basically get rid of the tunes. Um, and you can't kill a tune, except for this, like, vat of, of turpentine, dip. benzene, something else. Paint something or other that would, like, dissolve a tune. Mm-hmm. But, like, humans can die. Like, that's basically the setup. And then it's just, like, a madcap caper for the rest of the movie. Like, I just loved how they... Like, there are so many smart lines mm-hmm. in this movie and so many references that are just so brilliant. Like, Yeah, it's very smart. Very. In, in the silliest ways possible. And that's why... That's yes. what I really think. And they didn't include this in the genre, but here's the genre that I think this movie does really well. I mean... The, nails the film noir just absolutely nails it and it does a really good job with the mystery and it does a great job with the comedy but like but like taking tunes as a genre themselves Mm -hmm. and then like seamlessly inserting it into the real world is just it's incredible how they do that and so i would consider that sort of the genre in and of itself is that they they really looked at what they considered the golden age of animation, which mm-hmm. would have been older than most of us know, you know, um, the 40s. Yep. And, in, and, Daddy uh, Boo. And, and the 30s 36. and the 40s. Um, yeah. And 
they really looked at that and and picked out the the tropes and the those the antics and and figured out how to then insert them not just in the tunes themselves but like into the real world and you just yeah. you just buy it i buy every single thing that they're selling it just works perfectly <laughs> um but then right. to see and- how those interactions come into play like when they're not in crazy situations like he asks for a scotch on the rocks and then immediately he's uh-huh. like i mean ice but it's, then the little yes. penguin from mary poppins brings back scotch with rocks in it with a rock <laughs> yeah the penguin waiters i wrote that down because i was like yes um i love one of the one of my favorite lines being somebody who lives in la is who needs a car in LA? We've got the best public transportation they system poke in the world. So much fun at it's that! It so is such like self-referential. Like, it's could so come good. Up with that ridiculous idea of the freeway. Well, <laughs> the freeway took over exactly like that. I mean, obviously they knew, you know, right? Um, but yeah, they they really do poke a lot of fun at like um, the so idea of what LA actually is. And show business in general. I mean, like, what, another favorite line was, um, like, what do you know about show business, Mr. Valiant? Only there's no business like it. No business I no know. No business I know. And it just, like, said so yeah. straight. Like, said so, like, not like a lyric, not like a reference. It's so good. Or, like, what am I... I got him on loan from Disney. Yeah. He works for the best part is they work, work for, for peanuts. peanuts. Like... Or Betty Boop, work's been slow for me since cartoons went to color. Like, yeah. it's so smart, the um, way that they... One of my favorite things, they do too, that. was when they get handcuffed together because Roger's mm-hmm. just being silly um, in his apartment. Because that's... Roger can't not be yeah. silly. So then they go through all of this crap trying to get away from the weasels, and they finally end up at the... I forget the name of the station. Something, the station bar... The terminal yeah. station. So it's this mm-hmm. bar that his girlfriend, Dolores, um, manages mm-hmm. and runs the bar at. She doesn't own it, but she kind of runs it. Um, right. And they finally get to the bar to hide him in an old speakeasy room. And so that he can saw them out of the handcuffs because he didn't have the keys. Eddie didn't have the keys for it. And while he's sawing them he asks roger to like move or hold still or something like that and roger just pulls his hand out of the handcuffs do you mean to tell me that you could have taken your hand out of that cuff at any time no not at any time only when it was funny (laughs) (laughs) i just love it like that is such a like that's just the epitome of like cartoons is like cartoons yeah they could have done right. well, any of these like, things at any time they're obviously capable of like doing this stuff but like only when it's a funny <laughs> right and like christopher lloyd trying to like search out uh roger rabbit oh, yeah, with goes, shave the shave and a haircut no tune can resist the old shave and a haircut <laughs> trick and just goes and keeps doing that for so much like and finally like roger rabbit can't take it anymore just goes two bits and it's just like so like obvious um but like going to that like talking about best lines and like going to that whole idea of humor and like the sense of humor of tunes and like all that my best line is when Eddie and Roger are hiding and he's talking about like why 
I'm sure we do. It's the best line of the movie. Um, as it, I chose it. Um, Eddie and Roger are hiding because Judge Doom just got there, and Eddie's like, "Why were you like entertaining yeah, them?" Yeah, he like, had they. Blah, blah, Dolores blah. and Eddie. Eddie ran back to his apartment to mm-hmm. get something, and Dolores went to go check something about the clover leaf buyout of the red car system. Yes, because um, there's this whole like sub story of yeah. like somebody else is trying to buy Toontown. Right, that's what it was. Um, and so she was checking the probate, which I don't understand what that is. Um, but Roger also doesn't understand what it is, and he thinks it's prostate. <laughs> so he's talking mm-hmm. about how his uncle had to go to get his probate checked and all this stuff. It's so funny. Not prostate, you idiot. <laughs> Not probate. Prostate. Um, so they're both gone. They leave Ro- Roger at the bar by himself also leave the bar i guess she has someone who's helping um yeah and he puts on a record and is throwing like a full-on vaudeville act for the guys in the bar entertaining and they come back and i love the look on dolores's face as he's breaking the dishes and then when eddie like he's breaking the dishes over his head then eddie stops the Mm -hmm. music and he freezes with a dish over his head and then as Eddie grabs him and pulls them off the bar, the whole stack of dishes falls, and her face is so perfect. She's just like, so good. oh my god, <laughs> the dishes. So they, he's put on a whole show, and Eddie's freaking out. He's like, they're going to sell you out, because Judge Doom shows up looking for him. And mm-hmm. he says... And so Roger Rabbit says, like, no, they won't. Angelo would have sold said- you out for... Angelo would sell you out for a nickel. Or some, stab you in the back for a nickel or something like that. Yeah. And and um, Roger responds, like, they won't sell him out. And here's why. I made a laugh, laugh can be... A, or, or Eddie yeah, says, because made you laugh. made them laugh. You think they won't sell you out because you made them laugh, basically, questioning. And so then Roger responds, and this is my best line, a laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why sometimes in life it's the only weapon we have. And it is... I I think I need to cross stitch that. Like yeah. that is just yeah. like it is a it's like it's such a silly movie. The movie is so silly and there's so much like goofy in it. And so that that is like yes, he's being so goofy. It is so ridiculous. Not actually the literal character goofy, but like goofy right. of like just ridiculous. Um but this line is so profound and so Yes, as a comedian, mm-hmm. as somebody, like, I mean, I consider myself a comedian as somebody who, like, seeks out laughter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is absolutely, like, such a profound idea. Well... Was that your best line, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Of course 100%. it is. Okay. Of course yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and it's something that I think is really, really important and integral to comedy in general, no matter how you're doing it, whether you're... Yeah. writing it or you're doing stand-up or you're doing sketches or or you know anything like that is it's really one of the most effective ways to get people to change their minds to get people to change their perspective to get people to see the truth in something instead of just coming right at them with you know here's the fact and you need to listen it's why to satire me. is so successful mm-hmm. it's it's um it opens up just a completely different area of the brain. It gets people to let their their defenses down, honestly. 
Um, and then it's also a huge bit of foreshadowing to the climax of this movie when Eddie is trapped by the weasels. Um, Toontown mm-hmm. and Jessica and Roger are about to be destroyed by a giant dip uh, sprayer, like this huge yeah. dip spraying semi-tractor type thing. Uh-huh. Um, and he has nothing. He has no gun. He has... He's just surrounded by Acme gag gifts. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that he has is to make these weasels who apparently can laugh themselves to death laugh. Yep. And he puts on a whole show very similar to what Roger was doing at the bar. And... Which I love... I loved this idea, and it's not really explored very much, but okay, all can all tunes laugh themselves to death, or just the weasels? I don't know. Because he says... I think it's a weasel thing, because the other tunes can't die. Right. And he says something, like Judge Doom says, if you keep laughing, you're going to laugh yourselves to death, just like your idiot hyena cousins. <laughs> oh, well... I so don't know, I don't maybe know. then. Maybe... There are certain um, no, but uh, I just species of cartoon that have a difficulty controlling their laughter. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but no, I just love that line. And like, just from a like life standpoint, it's yeah. just such an important idea. Well, and yeah, and it is a weapon if you choose to use it that way. And and it is sort of this or defense, idea, if you right? To... Um, it is sort of this idea that like. The, one of the main themes of the movie is that Roger is really underestimated by everyone, mm-hmm. especially Eddie yeah. for a large portion of the movie. People don't understand, like, why he's with Jessica. People don't understand, they don't understand him, you know, and yeah. why he does the things he does and why he's so, why he's being so silly through all of this and why he's optimistic about everything and and everything like that. And it's like, well... He knows himself, and he knows that if he has to, he has this ability to use laughter mm-hmm. to his advantage, and obviously he has. Absolutely. Do you have a worse line? Because I, it was hard, I mean, I think, again, it was hard to choose a worse line because this movie is so smart, yeah. but I do have one, because, like, one of the, like, a plot hole thing bothered me, and it's not mm-hmm. so much a plot hole, but, like, a, like, this is said so many times in the movie and I guess, like, Roger didn't know that Eddie wasn't doing um, tune stuff anymore. So maybe he was just, like, out of touch, which is very possible. He's very busy. But he's a, he's a, a star. constantly working actor in Toontown. <laughs> True. But, like, at one point, when he goes to see Roger, or Eddie, he goes, where's your brother anyway? Yeah. He looks like a sensitive and sober fellow. And it's just, like, the whole time we've been talking about how the brother's dead. The whole time. Right. Like, that is so... It's like everywhere. And I think so I feel like in the times that I've watched it before, I just figured like, oh, was, this is more recent than I thought. But then they definitely say that it's been like five years. And I was right. like, wait, so Roger it's... should totally know. So Roger, I exactly. guess, is a little more of a self-centered actor than we thought. <laughs> yeah. So that was my worst line because it was like, you should know this. Um, yeah. But other than that, I thought it was, like, well, yeah, I didn't have same, much. And the whole thing, too, is, like, Toontown's not a big place. So a tomb no. murdering a human detective would be huge news. And he does not know right. that at all, either. He's like, oh, no wonder you, when Eddie tells the whole story, 
that a toon killed his brother, and Roger says, oh, no wonder you hate me. If a toon killed my brother, I'd hate me too. Yeah. Which is so sad, like, what, you hate me. And, I know. And he's like, I don't hate you. They have a really great relationship. It's really adorable. They do. It's great. Um, it's real great. I don't know. My worst line, my worst lines are just kind of like, meh. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. I really don't like when, because, like we said, this is such a really smart movie, and they have so many hilarious little bit. Like, the movie is just, you it's, know, it's little, very smart. It's just so many details and little bits and little jokes. And mm-hmm. when he t- when he gets caught at first after Jessica's performance, he gets caught like looking through the keyhole. Which I don't know mm-hmm. why he's doing that. He's not going to get a picture through the keyhole. But the bouncer, right. who's this big gorilla in a really tight tuxedo top, catches mm-hmm. him and throws him out the back into the alley. And he stands up and turns around and, like, as the gorilla bouncer is telling him, "Don't, I don't better not see you here again." He turns around and just says, uh-huh. "Ooga booga." Yeah, I didn't like that either. I'm like, why? Come on, Eddie is really smart. He has all kinds of comebacks and things to say to people. And the best he could come up with was Ooga Booga. Was Ooga Booga. Yeah, I know. I didn't love that one either. I was like, we could do better than that. Also, I completely understand, like, what they're going for with this character. This matches the character. I don't love Mm -hmm. Baby Herman, but I get it, and it's really funny. I know. I didn't like this line either. this line when he says, I have a 50-year-old lust and a 3-year-old dinky. Like, I do not want us, like, I get it. It I did not need that image. I did not be thinking mm -mm. about a a 0% needed anything about that. Or Or private parts or anything like that. No. We could have, like... And I, yeah, it's just very like late eighties, early nineties humor, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. There's it nothing just, it, it, unnecessary. Yeah, there's nothing like inherently wrong with it in the terms of this world or the script or the character or anything like that. But like, I didn't want to hear it. And I think there's something else we could have done to cement this character's uh, vulgarity without invoking that uh, line of thought at all. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I 100% co-sign on that. Other than that, like, I don't know. It was such a delightful, like, romp. I think I watched it last Saturday morning uh-huh. or something like that. It was just like, this is such a delightful way. No, I watched it Monday because we were off work um, for uh, New Year's. And I was just like, this is just like such a delightful way to spend my day. It really, I really... It's, it's highly rewatchable. If you have Disney Plus, it's on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. I think you get because there's so much going on with the animation. I've watched it a few times now and get something new every time. You yeah. see like little little references and things. There's it's so well done. Yes. Highly recommend this movie. Definitely like big on Highly the Easter recommend. eggs when Easter eggs weren't really like a thing yet. But it's begin become such especially I feel like in like a lot of Disney properties and Disney films, like Easter eggs. Um, are a big thing and there's just so many little things that you can see in this movie Um, and lots of little cameos and I think growing up in sort of the last Saturday morning cartoon generation this was like it's so good at you think about it like this would have been nostalgia even for people who saw it when it first came out and now it's like massive nostalgia it just holds up there's like nothing 
this movie is timeless. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't think I've seen a family film. And I mean, I, I, we're going to loosely categorize this as family, but it is a family mm-hmm. film, you know? That's how it was yeah. made and marketed. I mean, I guess, like, there's layers. Like, you right. know, most kids will miss most of it. Which I think that's kind of a, how a lot of that's family films were and, when yeah, we were exactly. kids. It's like, yes, they made oh, stuff for that sure. had the surface for us, but, like, under the surface... Adults enjoy adults it, yeah. Adults had plenty of humor and, and things like that. But I really don't think I've seen very many movies... And, and and you know what? I'm just going to say that this is maybe this is a Zemeckis thing, because we talked about this a lot with *Romancing the Stone*. Is like just a perfect blend of genre of genres that had never been blended before, and really same thing with *Back to the Future* in a lot of ways yeah, too. That's true. Sci-fi, um, yeah. comedy, hadn't action. really been. Yeah, yeah, sci-fi comedy action for sure. Yeah. Um, so apparently this movie until very recently was i mean obviously we're talking disney here so this shouldn't come as a surprise but sequel has had been in the works and had been on the table in some form or another this whole time until about Hmm. until the launch of uh disney plus where i think zemeckis finally was like don't think we're going to do anything with this. I just don't think that um, it doesn't need something. it. And so <laughs> the script that almost made it apparently in the 90s featured a Nazi occupied Europe World War II subplot. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And that one was very, uh, I mean, that one made it to. A draft, and I guess Steven Spielberg was attached at the time, and he pulled out and said he couldn't do anything that um, satirized the Nazis after he had just done Schindler's List. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then they, I think they scrapped that one, and then early in the 2000s, I believe, um, they had another one lined up that was going to utilize more motion capture. Okay. And feature this, I don't like, I don't like this at all. Um, well, at first it was, it, they had talked to Bob Hoskins. So I think we're talking mm-hmm. like 2005, 2006 at this point. He said he would absolutely come back as Eddie Valiant. But at that point he would have been quite a bit older, but they were only going to move yeah. like maybe 10 years into the future tops. And okay. Interesting. Some, somehow we were going to look at Roger Rabbit becoming a Broadway star in the 50s. Okay, okay fine. Enjoy and this was still on the table, still on the table up to 2016, 2018, when Bob Hoskins so even, had died. I was going to say, so even after Bob Hoskins they were going to died. bring him back through animation, and that's, I'm not okay with that. No, um, no, me neither. And that, so I'm glad, they, I'm glad they, they were that. They were really where Disney really was because of necessity with things like um, Carrie Fisher's not even, Mm -hmm. I mean, Carrie Fisher at the time, not even having died, but just needing to de-age her. Um, And then, and then she died and it 
and there's sort of this like, well, we can bring these people back with these. Right. And I think everybody really was like very quickly. It was yeah. like, no. Nope. Well, not. I'm glad that they, but I think I'm glad they decided that. Yeah. So, and, but that was still potentially on the table until about 2018. Robert Zemeckis said, um, I just don't see this as something that Disney is going to pursue for a theatrical release or for Disney plus. Um, he, he okay. said, because it doesn't have a princess in it. Here's my thoughts on it. Okay. Roger Rabbit isn't what makes Roger Rabbit great. He's, no, it's... he's great. He's cute. He's funny, but it could have been any other tune. Um, you know, as a kid, yes, that's what you see and that's what we're going to merchandise and that's what we're going to brand. Sure. But I mean, we could make this exact same movie with with any other with tune. any other tune, or I would venture to say you could make this exact same movie with humans, just rework right. the story to include human actors, and it still. Works. Although I think what makes the movie is the inclusion of Toontown. Yes. So I think like that to me is what makes the movie work. Right. That's what I think makes the movie like one of a kind, Special. pioneering, yeah. innovative, extremely creative. The plot and the performances really work with anything. I mean, wouldn't yeah. necessarily have to be tunes, but the fact that it is tunes takes this, just bumps this movie up and up to like top tier for me, I think. But yeah. it's not necessarily Roger that is what's special about this movie. So I don't think that we really needed, unless you're going to do it like like Knives Out, and mm -hmm. then I don't think that the character that we would need to be following is Roger Rabbit no, at all. It's, it's Eddie. Eddie Valiant, so you can't do it. You're yeah. done. You could have. You're you, done. If you were going to do it, you you absolutely do an Eddie Valiant mystery with a different tune. Absolutely. Or go back and do the prequel. Yeah. Of, Ooh, a Valiant and Valiant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's one way you could do it. You could do it like a prequel and like really young Eddie Valiant. Yeah. And, I mean, so you could do it with, so you could, that's a way you could have a different actor playing Absolutely. it. It's like if you have a really young, but then you get into like, what, this is in like the 30, then you get into like the 1910s. Like, I right. think, I mean, I, I can't remember what they show, like the picture of their, their police academy class. Yeah. I don't remember. I mean, it doesn't really and matter. I'm sure it was in like the early 30s that. or something like that. Yeah. That's a way you could do it. But then like. Wouldn't it be fun? Let's, let's, let's write well this actually. Alone. Let's do it. Let's write Ooh. this as a, as a mini series. Valiant and Valiant. And it's all black and white. And like, like real film noir. Because it's in the period when tunes weren't color yet. I like it. Okay. Well, this is a, clearly a project because, for Jessica because and that's I. Another, because we have so much yes, time. Because we don't have, like, you know, four other projects that we're going to write on our own and together. <laughs> on our own and together. Um, but because uh, that's, that's another thing that actually we talked about, kind of the open-ended nature, the non-final nature of um, Glass Onion. And one thing that has always bothered me, the one thing that I think would stick in my craw plot-wise about this movie is... Who the fuck is Judge Doom? Who is this tune? You know, I wanted just yeah. We we don't have the origin to, story. We don't have to pay a lot of attention to the 
big, complicated freeway plot for it to work. You know, it just has to be right. there, and there have to be a couple breadcrumbs so that we have this motive, and and it has to, you know, in typical 1940s murder mystery way, like, just has to loop back mm-hmm. on itself a few times so that we get several suspects out of it, right? Exactly. And that that does great, and but we don't have to pay, like, a ton of attention to it. We just buy it. It's there. Makes sense. Poke some fun at L.A. freeway systems. Fantastic. But I think yeah. we could have also given just a few more lines and a little, you know, a little bit of the same information as to, like, who this tune is that is yeah. posing as Judge Doom. And we just yeah. don't get that. And so that's something that in my head, I'm like, man, we, we need more of that somehow. Okay, so maybe yeah. that's the movie we're writing. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of copyright stuff we have to finagle, think... but oh well. Anyways, so speaking of animation, um, I know coming up in season two, you can expect some more animation. Yes. You can expect some action adventure. You can expect and, some um, brand new, awesomely fun, smart, talented guest stars. Guest stars, guest you hosts. Can. <laughs> Guest hosts. They're stars. They are stars. And I'm sure we'll have some more returning champions. So thank you for joining us on these first episode of uh, season two of Best Line, Worst Line. And you can follow us at um, Best Line, Worst Line on Instagram and bestlineworstline.com. And anything else, Jess? Oh, subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm out of practice on this one. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next time. See you next time.